Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. You know what this is. MWR.com where we do all the... Uh, Football stuff, Matt. Is that correct? Is that kind of what we typically do? Mostly uh, football, and this podcast is football specific. With week five coming up. Well, maybe you don't know what this is. Maybe you're tuning in for the first time. In which case, welcome. Yes, welcome. Mountain West uh, football. Yeah, and, and yeah, and please be sure to visit our website mwwire.com. We have lots of stuff going up. You have our we have a, what player of the month you're working on, newcomers, kickers, special teams guys. That'll be a thing we're going to do later on. Um, I guess you're working on that what this week? I think something like that. Yeah, I got a I got a couple irons in the fire. You know, one of the questions that we I think you know we've sort of talked around, especially in our our recap podcasts. And one thing I was sort of diving a little further into throughout this week, which you know we're recording on Tuesday evening, the twenty seventh. So hopefully it'd be out by Wednesday or Thursday. Just trying to figure out like what's gone wrong across the conference so far. Can I tell you? You're thinking. Did you see my DMs earlier when we were discussing this? Yes. Are things really going wrong, or is it just different teams at the top? Probably a little bit of both. Okay, but I've been, I've been, the the further I look into it, the the further the more I realize that in terms of like, yeah, you know, and not necessarily in terms of like who's on top and who isn't right now, but in terms of overall performance, there are some things that are going on relative to how they unfolded in the first month of last year that's fair and that's really what i'm digging into so look for that article in, in a couple of days it's one of those like lack of pactual victories power five wins well i mean we got one yeah, yeah but san diego state's not holding up there and oh and two aztecs and you beat the no. crap out of them fresno state struggling on that front too but okay i just thought about it. i want to make sure we're not just blatantly disrespecting the rebels like they're michigan who's played nobody in their top five in the country <laughs> 
No, no. I mean, the the article isn't designed to pick on any one team. It's just, you know, everybody's sort of talking about, well, the Mountain West sucks this year so far. And so that's what I'm trying to figure out is like, okay, well, if that's the case, then what Why? is happening? And really looking under the hood more than anything. I would say this will be a good midseason once we get going, but I think part of it could be just uh... – I don't think they're as good. That's that's part of it too. Like some of the teams, but you got a portal, you got new coaches, you have a little bit different things in college football. And some teams have been in decline for a while, but they're just now realizing or it's now coming to fruition of them not being very good after a couple of years of kind of slowly sliding away. But we'll get to that later. Read the article, MWR.com, sometime this week. Well, and it's one month in. There's a lot that can happen, but conference plays in earnest, earnest just about. But let's we'll start with week, uh, not week, uh, game one. Thursday, that's what Thursday night game. That's why we're recording this Tuesday. It'll be out probably Wednesday morning, I'm guessing, if I'm quick enough. But Utah State at BYU, the old wagon wheel is on the line for the uh, possibly last time for the foreseeable future with BYU breaking up with Utah State on Valentine's Day with the open records request when the letter came out on February 14th this past year of them saying, sorry. Still lame. What was that? Lame? Still lame. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally. Because you see who BYU added, like, some F- they added an FCS team today, I believe it was. They're not playing Nevada down Dude. the road in a couple of years. So it's like, come on. Get over yourself. Well, I know, yeah, Nevada makes sense. But, I mean, come on. In-state rivalries. Yeah. Where it's at. Well, I mean, Nevada, the Nevada game was, like, scheduled months before. So it was like, a, oh, Ron, not never mind. Sure. That's why I'm kind of like, Ugh. Yeah, because, you know, BYU is going to host Southern Illinois in 2024 over – I think they're still going to play Laramie on the road, but they kicked off Nevada that year. They're not playing Utah State, and BYU fans are like, well, let's do two for one. I'm like, well, we'll see. But there's problems in Logan, a lot of problems. This game, we should mention, 6 p.m. local time at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. BYU is a hefty 24-point favorite, and that might be uh, not enough points for me to decide. <laughs> That's a, a tough one because Utah State, Matt, what? they're one of the teams you're probably looking to. Like, what is going wrong with them? What's What's the deal? They, Logan Monner's not playing well at quarterback. He had five interceptions last game. Two, mm-hmm. two were like Hail Mary. So those two don't, they count, but they don't count. You know what I mean? So it looks worse to me. I mean, there was the one at the end of the game, which I sort of write off as like, okay, whatever. The game was more or less decided at that point. Yeah, something like that. But, but like they were, they weren't the typical interception to, to think of. But his six, eight on the year, six TDs, which is whatever in four games. Not completing the best completion percentage as he did last year, only fifty-six percent. Their just defense isn't very good. They're just overall, I don't know why they're not very good. Like, the, yeah, Devin Tompkins, you lose an all-time receiver, but the guys catching the ball, like they're not terrible. Like Brian Cobbs, McGriff, Terrell Vaughn, like they're doing okay. Like they're not amazing, but they already have over ten catches each. That's reasonably okay a couple of game, but it's just overall it's just not working out for them for some reason for for coach anderson okay so i guess this is this is the time where i sort of begin the advancement of of my at least for this week my defense of the aggies do your best <laughs> Be, and okay so i will start by pointing out that other than the turnovers this was probably their best overall offensive performance of the year, of the year to date last week against UNLV. Yeah, you mentioned recap how many like the yard differential per play and overall was quite well for the Aggies. Yeah, you know they were they were and especially because they you know against Alabama of course whatever what are you what are you going to do? 
but they were dreadful against Weber State too, and that was like a flashing warning sign to me. But the fact that they were able to come out and move the ball relatively well throughout the game, again, other than the turnovers, which were, you know, one or two is forgivable. Five is like, what are you even doing past a certain point? But you, know, you, you go back and you look and you're like, okay, well, they had a lot of big plays through the air. And Bonner is really kind of the flashpoint for all of that because I think on the whole, you know, to your point, like he has not been the same caliber of quarterback on the whole that he was last year. But we've seen flashes of it. And we, but the problem was before last week against the Rebels, we hadn't really seen it against U- until against UConn and way back in week zero. But last week, in particular, other than the five interceptions, you know, he completed 66% of his throws. Mm-hmm. He threw for over 300 yards. And I think more importantly, he averaged 7.6 yards per attempt. You know, he was able to get the ball, he was able to push the ball down the field. And for all of the maddening throws that he made, he also had a handful of them at least that made you remember, oh, yeah, this is why Aggies fans wrote or died with this guy last year. And so, I think it's really going to come down to, okay, well, which Logan Bonner are we going to get? Well, because I think. Just watch out who plays, who plays tomorrow. Well, let's just continue. Go ahead with your thoughts. I'll have to tell you later. Let's just say um, there there could be more than one quarterback playing tomorrow. That's all I'm getting at. And that's all I can say at the moment. So be, be prepared for that. And, and the reason I'm, I'm sort of defending Bonner in particular, because, again, he hasn't been perfect. There are still a lot of things where, you know, his numbers are way down from, from a year ago. And I think most specifically, if you look at his down-by-down down splits, like his, his efficacy basically dwindles from first down to second down to third down. On third downs in particular, he's only, first of all, he's only completing 40% of his throws. Only 27 attempts, 11 completions, 5 first downs through the air yikes in addition to three interceptions and it's just it's one of those things like that was one of the things which he was really exceptional last year you know on on third downs last year he completed 67 percent of his throws by contrast and he had you know 63 first downs on 126 pass attempts so basically like half of the throws he had on third down last year went for a first down this year it's down to 25%. It's basically half. It's not good. So when I look at this game, that is really where I start looking at it. It's like, okay, can Bonner, first of all, can he get back to, you know, being good and, and less turnover prone? But I think more in particular, can he take advantage of a BYU defense that is still by and large, you know, they still have some key injuries. And we, we just saw this last week, you know, we talked about him this time last week as well. Wyoming moved the ball on him. A little while and it really wasn't yeah. until that third quarter that we talked about in the preview podcast that things really got away from the cowboys and so i can see a situation where if utah state and on offense in particular can finally pull it together they could keep the game a lot closer than a lot of people would would be inclined to believe i think at first glance just based off of the way that the aggies have played on the whole to this point of the season. Yeah. There's a couple of things with BYU. They're watching the Wyoming game and just watching them all year long, at least on my end a bit more. They don't have a running game to speak of. They had, if you look at what they did last week, we talked about in the recap, they have Miles Davis who had 100 yards, but one was a 70-yard run. I know it all happened, but they were, they could not move the ball on the ground to save their life. And Jaron Hall had one of his best games ever. 
as a quarterback could be mm-hmm. maybe his best ever. Like those deep throws, and he made it made it count, and a couple of drops, and he only had six incompletions. Like it doesn't matter who's out there. Keanu Hill, who had the big sixty-eight yarder to help him out big time. Um, they had Pukunikua back, didn't play much. They are getting um, what's his name, um, Gunnar Romney back this week, definitely for sure. He had a lacerated kidney, which is yikes. That's a scary thing to have. Yikes. So he'll be back playing this week. Who knows how effective he'll be? Not not even just due to the injury, but also due to lack of. I'm not sure how much he's been participating. He's more in the green jersey, non-contact type of deal. So he, for obvious reasons, that's a severe injury if you're to aggravate or bust open stitches or whatnot for the kidney issues or, I guess, injury, however you want to put it. But that's uh, getting those guys back, but they don't run the ball. Well, Chris Brooks only two carries despite a touchdown. Like They don't run the ball well, and if Utah State's rush defense could slow that down, it's not like you want to make Jaron Hall beat you because he could definitely beat anybody <laughs> when they play. He's really good. But that is an area if they force him to throw, and if Utah State's defense can do a little bit, there's some chances. But I just, it's going to take a so, their best game of the year to maybe even keep it close. I think. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to say that you're wrong. And to your point about run defense, in particular, that I think. It, I mean, I'm not going to call it a red flag because it's not really a fault of the Aggies. You know, that's one thing that they have done pretty well on the whole. All season long and you know with even without adjusting for sack yardage you know they've really held their own in terms of on the ground over the last couple of weeks in particular like for, for everything that went wrong against weber state they still held them under four yards in attempt and even though they yeah. lost last week against the rebels they held unlb under three under two and a half yards per attempt That's and good. i think some of that has to do with the fact that the pass rush finally showed up last week you know they only have five sacks on the season four of them came last saturday but the other thing that they have going for them is that they're still number one in the conference in terms of tackles for loss so they've generated a good amount of havoc with their front six the problem as i see it which again isn't necessarily in their control is they're beat up up front especially on the interior because you know holly motuapuaka is battling an injury so is pukesi bakuata you know um they already lost a couple of guys for the season. You know, Philip Paya was knocked out last week. Sini Tuiaki, of course, had the injury against UNLV in the game. So, you know, they, they have those two guys that I'm assuming are probably going to get the lion's share of the snaps on the interior. But then from there, there's they're, they're sort of running out of proven depth. You know, they have, you know, a sophomore, Tevian Coleman. They have, you know, Bo Miley, a true freshman. And then beyond that, huge question marks. And so... If they can hold up, if they can maintain their health, knock on wood, for one more Saturday and and really put the game in Jaron Hall's hands and force him to make plays in the same way that he ultimately did down the stretch last Saturday. Well, I think that's another thing to keep an eye on in this game because that is something that could work in Utah State's favor if they can hang in there and stay healthy. Well, Utah State's given up also nearly five yards to carry allowed. That's not good. They, That's what I'm saying. Like they've been they've improved over the last couple of weeks and yeah. they generated a lot of havoc. So it's been very boom or bust in that regard. And the second half has been better as well, which is you think it'd be the opposite, maybe. Oh, they're losing or the the, the team they're against is up big, they'd run more. But actually in the second half, they're giving up fewer yards. Like they're three point se- or excuse me, five point seven nine first half, three point eight seven second half. So better rushing yards per attempt, fewer touchdowns, yeah. fewer big plays allowed. Basically, split in half of ten plus yard plays, and and a third of 10, 20 plus yard plays. They're they're starting off slow, which is a problem. So if they could yeah, flip that, I, that I, could I help. Wish. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wish that CFB stats would let you look by week, but you know it's it, it's telling because like I said, they're number one in terms of TFLs, but the only team in the conference that's given up more 10 yard runs is Hawaii. Okay. You know, yeah. Utah State's given up 28 runs of, of 10 or more yards in four games. So the, again, it, it, that's one of those things that could work both ways. 118th in the country but, if you're keeping track at home. But if the Aggies can hold on to their recent gains, then they might be onto something, and they might and they might be able to keep it more of a game that way. Yeah, you can break down a bit more CFB stats. will take a bit of like if you do nationally, you can do a bit more. But within the conference, you can't break it down that deep. So that's kind of a little tricky. Sadly, to, to see. work on that someday. Yeah, put on both pages. But I just don't know how Utah State, regardless Cooper Lagarde, Logan Bonner, doesn't matter as a quarterback. They're not moving the ball well enough. They're moving the ball well, but so. They put up a lot of yards versus UNLV. They score a decent amount of points. Not enough points because you have all the turnovers. They're minus whatever I have in front of me. I'm wondering, I think their best chance, I would say, protect the ball more, which is a dust statement, but five interceptions, even if the cup, okay, even if three really, because the two end of game ones or end of Hail Mary situations, it's still three turnovers in the passing game. That's not good. They need to tighten that up because Bonner's. And throwing the ball, not great. Receivers are fine. I know they don't have Devin Tompkins. Maybe he made, made up a lot more than we thought with him catching whatever he could that came his way. And that could be something, too. It's just hard for me to see them being – like this inverse of how good to bad is almost similar to what your Fresno State did where they won one game and Jeff Tedford came in they basically won the conference. This is trending. Like this, this reversal of unfortunate or lack of bad play or lack of wins or whatever you want to say is trending to be one of the worst – in a very, very long time anywhere in college football history. Like, if they end up 3-9, and nine, like, what the heck happened? Like, what's what's the deal? I mean, I think the path is there. It's just, it's still going to be pretty difficult to pull off. They need Calvin Tyler to do well. They need to somehow get to Jaron Hall, which is tough, and they're getting their top receivers back. I don't know, man. Like, to keep it close, I'm still questioning how close it could be. And I think that that's fair. So what are the advanced numbers say in this one? So, uh, as you might suspect, uh, they all favor BYU by uh, varying degrees. SP Plus likes the Cougars. They give them a 93% win probability, projected margin of 25 and a half, 25.5. FEI also likes BYU by 16. And Parker Fleming on Twitter at StatsOWar. His uh, model gives the Cougars a 97.02% win probability, Oof. projected margin of about 39 to 13. It's 26 points. That's a lot. Yeah. What's your score projection? What do you got? 
I do think that Utah State will be able to keep it competitive. For how long? So I would definitely take the points. But I just don't trust them enough to take care of the football. I don't trust them to be disciplined enough not to put themselves in less than ideal situations and not be able to do anything about it. So I'm going to take BYU to win, but I'm going to take Utah State to cover. I'm going to say 38 to 24. So the same score as versus Wyoming last week? I suppose so. <laughs> I'm going, I think they might cover, but I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'll go 38-17. Like, they might, because rivalry game, right, maybe then. they get something out there. They're kind of being a bit feisty or whatever, but it's, I don't think it's going to be close. It's going to be a long day for Utah State, so. Friday, we have two games. Friday night. So, 6 p.m., Boise State hosting San Diego State on um, FS1. Boise is somehow a six-point favorite. The over-under is at Iowa-esque 39, Matt. Yikes. <laughs> really? Yeah, currently 39, which is NFL level if you're a bad NFL team. Like, Bears and Texans, I think, was like 38 last week or something, something pretty bad. So we should mention Boise, new OC with um, Dirk Cutter stepping up from analyst role, take over for the uh, Tim Plow, who was let go. Hank Bachmeyer transferred. Potential Kentucky he might be going. That's kind of the rumors I've been seeing or hearing. We haven't talked about it in the podcast, but are you sh- – what, what's your uh, surprise level that Bachmeyer left the program? I guess I'm mildly surprised. Why is that? Why were you only mildly surprised? I mean, because it seemed like they were giving him an exceptionally long leash. It seemed, you know, I know that there were a lot of fans out there who were sort of calling for them to turn to tail and green. We are at least have a quicker hook like me than Andy Avalos (laughs) seemed to want to have. And so I think, you know, I, I would have expected that he would have been willing to work with Cutter to sort of retool the offense and stuff like that. But you know, obviously that wasn't the case. You know, he's gone. Green is now, I guess, the guy against San Diego State. Officially, so yes. Now all of a sudden we you know we get to project, okay, you know, sort of throw sort of throw out all the numbers to this point because you know at, at this point you start over and be like, okay, now what? Well you know, and I think case in point, you look at offensive success rate to this point, and this is something that you know both of these teams have in common, which is to say that neither of them has been very good through four weeks. Um, you know, according to Parker Fleming, uh Boise State has an offensive success rate of 35.1%, which is 110th nationally. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they are dragged down by their passing success rate in particular, which is only 32%, 115th. And it's it's to their good fortune in this matchup that San Diego State also happens to be dead last in passing success rate. Not good, There's man. A difference Not good. Ten <laughs> percent between these two teams, which which says a lot considering they're both bottom fifteen teams. Um, but I think that that's something worth keeping. You know, it's something where it's like, okay, that's a great stat, but how much does it actually mean now that they're making a permanent switch? And not much because the offense going to ultimately look different. Like, is it going to be mm-hmm. more of that ground and pound that we saw work at least a little bit with Bachmeyer under center in recent weeks? It could be because Taylor Green ran a bit more when he got in. So that was part of it. Yeah, and the I mean the other thing is too is like you know are they going to undergo more offensive line shuffling? Like what, like what is their what is the expectation going to be for what this offense looks like? And then you know on top of all that, they still have to go up against an Aztec defense that 
ate Toledo's lunch last week. You know, and you, you know, that was a similarly limited kind of offense. And so like if the Aztecs are, are sort of able to bounce back in that regard, then all of a sudden it becomes a much more interesting matchup for like for all of tool for all of Green's different tools. It, it may still be that they chase him down and force him into mistakes in the same way that they did last week against Dequan Finn. Yeah, they can force because here's the thing too. There's good and bad things about this. San Diego State has barely seen the redshirt freshman Green out there. He played a little bit early in the first couple games. However, they also have a new OC, essentially Dirt Cutter, but it's not going to be a wholesale change. And it's one day less. Like the game's Friday night. Bakamar announced Monday. Green was practicing Tuesday. Like obviously that's this morning today as we're recording this. They're not going to install anything much difference going to probably look very similar to what they're doing. It could be just how the plays are called or not how, but um, not what plays, but I guess the only big change would be, okay, run or pass type of situation. Maybe like, Oh, we're going to run more, pass more, whichever they decide. They're not going to have wholesale new plays. I don't think maybe a couple, but not enough to make a change. I don't think to have the offense look drastically different, but if green sides to one look and done and one and run, it's like, well, that's something senior state needs to look out for. I'm betting the only changes they might make a bit more because with his feet, some play action, some roll rollout type of stuff could be a situation. But overall, I don't. That's a, and you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because that is actually something else that both of these two teams have in common through the first month too. You know, like if you look at rush rate over expected, which is basically just how much more often did you run than average in any given situation. Mm-hmm. You know, Boise State's you know that their ratio in that regard is nearly sixty percent. And San Diego State is 75%. So both of these teams already were leaning towards very, very run-heavy offenses. And so I wonder how much for, more for Boise State's case, <laughs> whether that goes up a, a little bit now that you have that extra element under center that can provide something a little bit different. Maybe, but it's also a different type of running as well, clearly, if it's a QB compared to um George Trelawney or whoever's back there. I don't know, man. Like this, def- this is gonna be a defensive game. Honestly, take the under if you can. Like thirty-nine. This might be like a thirteen to six game. Both these offenses are. It's okay to say they're garbage and not good. From what we've seen. Yes. Is Braxton Burmeister officially the starter? Still see on the depth chart. Like I need. To, I he's he's still number one on the depth chart. <sighs> so uh, Godspeed to them. I don't know. I. I just don't know what Aztecs are doing. Like they, the running the game looked a bit better. They have special teams, obviously, good with the special teams touchdowns. The punt return by Bird, they run okay. It's the same thing over and over. They're going to change the style of play to get their guys the ball. Like Braxton Burmeister, like all the Aztecs. I don't want to do what we did a lot in the recap. Just kind of bash it all, but it's, anybody who thought this guy's going to come in and be the best quarterback since Christian Chapman, who was adequate and above average, are fooling themselves. And I don't think he'll change to be that. It's not, it's not a third school. It's I don't know. It's it's expect a lot of running, expect low scoring, expect a rock fight. Like, say, the, what was the Twitter guy? The fight elevator phone booth, phone booth fight or something? Essentially, this Superman stri- yeah. struggling Superman trying to take off his clothes and change from Clark Kent or back and forth, and he trips. That's what this is going to be. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, and, oh, and, man. and with that in mind, Yikes. you know, one last thing that both of these teams have in common. Yeah, you know, I like to talk about available yards percentage on on a lot of these preview podcasts. Um, and so for those of you who you know need a refresher, basically it's just you know the percentage of yards that you gain on any particular drive. So like if you start at your 25, you have 75 yards to go. 
if you go from if you go from your 25 to the opponent's 25 yard line that's 50 out of 75 or 66 and two-thirds percent long story short both of these teams are not good at moving the ball uh nope. you know to this point boise state is 120th on offense and available yards percentage 28.8 percent of yards earned um and San Diego State's at 27.4, which is 122nd. They got lucky last week that Toledo had a couple of defensive breakdowns. Yeah. It could just as easily turn the other direction for for Jordan Bird and company. It, it could be, you know, somewhere closer to what we saw against, you know, the Power 5 defenses they played this year. Like, they, they didn't offer anything against Utah. And yeah, you know, they had a, a, a little bit of success, but not nearly as much as they had against Toledo and Idaho State. So it's one of those sort of maddening things where, yeah, on on the surface, yeah, like their 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 rate stats look okay on the aggregate. Like they're they're averaging what five point eight yards per carry on the ground, but at the same time, you know, they're still like middle of the pack in terms of like TFLs allowed. So, you know they've given up 24 TFLs, and that's something that Boise State could potentially take advantage of because the Broncos on defense, you know, they have 26 themselves in four games. That's something that they've continued to, you know, excel at even as the offense has struggled. And you know, other than the injury to Ezekiel Noah in the front seven, like it's it's a defense that should be able to get back to playing at a high level especially against an Aztecs offense that's just been limited week in and week out so far this year. So Brady Hook was asked, what's the deal with the offense? Is it the line, the running game, the quarterback? So here's exactly what he said the other day at practice on, I believe, Monday. He says, I think if you would take all those things and put them together, different plays, it's one of those things. It's either the timing, it's either we haven't held the line of scrimmage well enough, we're not getting off press coverage or timing of route. He also says it's all those things, and obviously, which is a big thing, obviously, it's also the quarterback making good decisions. So when it's a million things, that means you can't just change one thing to have it fix. Mm-hmm. And he obviously kind of points a finger at Burmeister without saying to Burmeister by him not making smart plays out there in the field. But they lost Will Haskell the portal. Like, why not bring in the, the other guy? What's his name? Um, Rio. Shoot. Million quarter. What's the third string guy that came in versus Utah? Are you talking about Kyle Crum? Kyle Crum. Sorry, yes. Thinking of Reed. I don't know why Kyle Crum. Like maybe have him play. I don't know. But when it's that many things going wrong, they're 130th overall in offense out of 131. We mentioned the, how bad they are passing behind most academies. 74 yards per game passing. I know they don't need to pass well, like extremely well, but this is going to come down to I think a special teams play because both teams should have good special teams, good defenses for both teams. You mentioned Noah's out, but that's who cares? You're playing San Diego State. You don't need a great player out there to stop them. I don't know who's going to win, but this is going to be again like thirteen to ten. There's like it's going to be like the Toledo game last week, which is very difficult to watch, where we're seventeen to fourteen. Yeah, and that's only because the offenses came to life in like the last four minutes. Yeah, and even then it was like well, it was very low. That's embarrassing to say, but this is this. I don't know, man. This like maybe Green can get out, get his legs going and get a run. That might be the big, a big, the biggest offensive play we see. If Boise's offensive line is stable, but I don't trust it, so I can't say either way. And George Swan is good enough, but not good enough if he's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage and has to work super hard to get three yards because he's hit the backfield every other run or every run. I, 
what do the advanced numbers say? Because there's not much more to say. The offenses are terrible. Green might make a big run. That could be the big difference. And it could be a special team score or a short field where the offense only needs to go 30 yards for points instead of 75. So Okay, so SP Plus likes Boise State. They give them a 68% win probability, projected margin of about 8.1. Uh, FEI also likes the Broncos, not by quite as much. Uh, they favor them, by, favor them by 3.1. And uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, gives the Broncos a 57.65% win probability, projected margin of about 24 to 21. It's too many points, man. Your numbers are wrong. <laughs> Who do you got? I think Boise State's going to win partly because it's it's at home. I think they have, when you look at the players on the field, I think Taylor Green has changed, is the best quarterback, I think. I think Boise State is a little bit more, I think they'll come up motivated, like, oh, our guy off the team, new coach. Get, they'll be kind of have a little, little oomph in their step there. But I think, I'm going Boise State. But I'm seriously, I'm going 17-13 Boise State, and that might be too high. But that's what I'm going with here. I think when it comes down to it, it's like you who has the best unit on the field. Which one do you think and it I, is? I think it's San Diego State's defense. Not by much, though, right? Not by much. That's all you need, I guess. Just a little bit. <laughs> not by much is all you need. It is I'm gonna take. The, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take the Aztecs to win on the road. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say twenty. 20 to 17. Still not many points. All right. What did I say? 17, 13? <laughs> I'm sticking with 17, 13. Yeah. All right. What do we got next year? New Mexico UNLV, which is, whew, I'm looking more forward to that game than I am the prior game. This game's 9 p.m. local or 9 p.m. mountain time, 8 p.m. Pacific out in the Legion Field, Legion Stadium in Vegas. Rebels are a shockingly high 14 and a half home favorite, which we have not seen in a long time. The Rebels, man, they are scoring points. The over under 43, they're going to get that by themselves, I think, in this game. Why is this? That seems think cool. so. That seems super low. I know Rocky Long's defense, they held LSU to 38, and I don't know how much LSU kind of let off the gas when the game was in hand. But I don't, I honestly, Rebels could score 40 points here. Maybe they'll have to work for it because we've seen what uh, Lobo's defense and Rocky Long and Danny Gonzalez have been able to do by making some plays, and defense is kind of why they're 2-2. Two and two And Doing pretty well and held Boise to what twenty one points in their loss or something very limited. They took care of UTEP as well when they played them. There was a sorry thirty one to Boise, but held UTEP to ten. It's there's a chance they can keep it around, but I think UNLV probably has too much from what we've seen. Like Doug Brumfield, early player of the year candidate. Come on, why not? I'm not, I mean I'm not saying you're wrong. I think there's a, there's a lot of things you can point to to be like advantage advantage UNLV. And I don't think anybody was. I don't think anybody would have thought about that going into the season. But I do think a lot is going to depend on how well, in particular, you know, some of the new faces that are stepping up into more prominent roles are going to be able to, you know, hit, you know, step, you know, step in and contribute. Uh, in, in Rocky Long's defense, in particular, you know, because on the one hand, you know, it came out, and I, and I must have overlooked it, but like Tavian Combs at the Loba position is is done for the year with a season ending injury. And so last week against UTEP, you know, AJ Halsey, who, you know, made one of the play early plays of the year with his sort of, you know, running down the defender for a touchback uh, on a fumble. You know, he's stepping into a really big spot as a true freshman. And, you know, for, you know, to his credit and to, you know, to his good, uh, good luck that he was, 
he's able to step into a situation where at least he's part of an, a very veteran laden secondary, mm-hmm. you know, because he gets to be flanked by Jarek Reed. He's got Dante Martin at cornerback, Ronald Wilson's a, you know, a season pro at this point. So that unit should still be able to potentially force Brumfield into mistakes where other defenses to this point really haven't. And I think, you know, to a similar extent, that's also true of what's happening at middle linebacker as well, where Ray Lutelli is out, I think for not, not season ending, but I think he's out for this week because the middle linebacker spot is, is split between uh, Alec Marenko and, and Dion Hunter, both of, soon, both of whom have seen a pretty fair amount of playing time already. But I think the, the one advantage that New Mexico has is other than Cal, this is by far the best defense that UNLV has had to face so far this year. Clearly. And I yes. think it's important to keep that in mind because for as much as the Rebels have moved the ball, they've done it against teams that ranked in the triple digits in terms of S- defensive S- excuse me, defensive SP plus. Yeah, that makes and as we mentioned last week, even even after yet the lopsided loss to LSU, New Mexico is still 69th overall on that side of the ball. You know, if you sort of throw last week's game out as one where like the talent disparity was always going to be a problem. You know, you look at what they've done in the two games that they've played, or I guess you, if you want to call, you know, the, the three games outside of the LSU game, mm-hmm. you know, they averaged basically five yards per play allowed against, who was it? They played Boise State and UTEP. Correct. And, um, and then Maine. they allowed two and a half against Maine. So it's just as easily that they could bounce back and reassert themselves and frustrate UNLV in a way that we haven't seen them really outside of Berkeley to this point in the season. So with this game, if the Rebels or the Lobos are going to stick around because UNLV, it's, they're going to need some points. Offensively, Miles Kendrick is not doing well. Three TDs, three picks, 14 sacks on the year. I think if they're going to do it, they got to run the ball a bit like Nathaniel Jones and Sherrod Wright to kind of help with that running game. But those guys aren't doing – I know White has the th- three touchdowns, but they need to be able so, to hold the ball a bit with those guys, with Jones and everything. So you know how I mentioned a few minutes ago that San Diego State, in terms of passing success rate on offense, was dead last in the country? Lobo's 130? Or, uh, not quite. They're 129th. Okay, not bad. Better. <laughs> it's terrible. That is really a problem that is – you can't really pin it on Kendrick. It's it's a whole unit problem. Yeah. Because as a unit, you know, you look at the disparity between these two teams in this game, you know, UNLV is up to 32nd nationally. Their offensive success rate is 45%. New Mexico is languishing at 29.1. So as a team, as a unit, they're 127th. So it, it's easy to point to Kendrick as sort of like, you know, the guy who's playing the most important position and saying, okay, well, he has to be better. But that really involves everyone. You know, the offensive line has to play better, especially against a defense that has, you know, played well above expectations to this point, too. You know, in terms of, like, you know, their ability to generate havoc, you know, UNLV is in the middle of the pack in terms of TFLs generated so far this year. But they have they also have 11 sacks in four games as well. So they've been able to get after the quarterback. That's actually something both of these teams have in common, too. New Mexico has 12 sacks. UNLV has 11. And it's one of those things where... You know, if, if UNLV can, you know, force a lot of three and outs, that's going to put a lot of pressure on special teams and Aaron Rodriguez in particular to try and 
keep the rebels from you know being able to set themselves up with too many short fields so it's the kind of thing where like if the offense can at least get a couple of first downs every so often that might be that might in itself go a long way towards helping the Lotus hang around in this game. Yeah, they, better they, yet, they, just need, they need to, they need to punch the ball into the end zone. They need points. Yeah, they need touchdowns. They're gonna move the ball. Like Kendrick's not very good at completing passes, so maybe they get to sixty-five percent. Well, he's fifty-seven percent. That's whatever. But his yardage isn't great. Clearly, what he's been what's been going on. That's yeah, yeah. They're, he's gonna do a bit better than that. Like if he completes fifty-seven, that's fine. But it's not moving the ball at all. He's only averaging what six yards a pass, six yards an attempt, something very minimal. Or no, it's six yards it's a pass. Sorry, yeah. it's, it's not very good overall. But it's not like they don't have some guys out there. Like look at um, Porter. He when he gets the ball, it's fourteen yards per catch. It's pretty good. But I know he's at one huge sixty-nine yarder. They only throw the ball to two guys. They guy may spread out between Wysong and Porter. I know Wysong will be good, but like they get the running backs a bit. They get tight ends occasionally. They got to spread it out, get a third guy involved just to make UNLV's defense honest, and maybe that's so they can get that extra first down here or there to move it, and maybe that leads to a touchdown over a field goal. But I don't trust this uh, quarterback situation here. Running games, it's offense isn't good, like what you mentioned. They're not good. They're bad passing the ball. I think their best hope is to create turnovers in defense and slow down because this is again, you said outside of Cal, this is the best defense they've seen for UNLV. So there's a chance that this could be a way where Lobos can make some hay. And it's like, oh, we got to pick here. We got to we st- have a couple three and outs, and yeah, maybe they settle for field goals. But if they go, if they can force a couple punts back to back to back, and Lobos in any points they can get, we'd prefer touchdowns if they're wanting to win. But if they're to go three possessions, three field goals, three possessions, no points, they take what they get. Maybe that's something that they need to do. But I still agree with you. Got to get a couple touchdowns. Like they need at least if they're gonna win. They probably need to get at least 24 points, and that's probably the bare minimum. Honestly, they probably need to get in the 30s if they're going to win this game. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, especially since I think the I think their aim is going to be to try to limit possessions and, and really you know, try to take the air out of the ball as much as they can. Especially since you know going back to the the rush rate over expected metric for just a second. Yeah. You know, through. Through four games, New Mexico, their their rate is 79%. Ooh. So, like, they've leaned really heavily on the ground game in just about every situation. And some of that is maybe just, you know, running a draw on third and long to sort of, you know, get away with it without much injury or anything like that. Yeah. But I do think that they need a little more out of their ground game that they've been, than they've been getting. And so I... I think that's sort of a big ask, though, considering the offensive line through four games. Like we've talked about some of the struggles elsewhere among offensive lines in the conference, I think, particularly with Colorado State. But it's worth keeping in mind through four games, Mexico's not that far behind them. They've given up nine and a half TFLs per game in in four contests. And that's exactly the kind of thing that this, you know, Rebels front seven, even without like, a number of, of all conference type guys to this point, they could pretty easily exploit that and force a lot of three and outs and take control of the game that way. May yeah, that's kind of what they gotta do if that's gonna happen. But that's if you say limit possessions and that's clearly the best chance, but I just think you know if will get we can blow past this Lobo's defense for at least enough to get a good number of points. I guess that's why that over under is kind of lower at forty three. They respect the mm-hmm. Because Lobo's defense averaged nationally, even when you include last week's blowout to LSU, 
I think with Brumfield, with Kyle Williams, he's been is he was he banged up? Is that what we said last week? Is that right? See a little uh yeah, Kyle Williams got knocked out of the game. So did Jeff Weimer. Weimer's gonna miss this game. Mm. He's replaced in the starting lineup by Nick Williams, who sort of an interesting field stretcher. Like he only has seven catches on the year, but three of them have gone for over 20 yards. Mm-hmm. So he could be that, you know, sort of next man up to sort of to help maintain the rebels and their ability to stretch the field and really attack this local secondary, which I think is exactly what they're going to try and do. So they should do, and they have Aiden Robbins, who's doing quite well, honestly, 427 yards, seven touchdowns through four games. They're doing quite well. I just, I even with the injury, I think they'll be fine. Like the Lobos are going to struggle to stop. Brumfield is completing 70%. Getting to him nine sacks to a game, that's an area where I think, like we mentioned, they can get to him, get to him. But I think at some point, Lobos will give up a big play here or there, not just because they're Lobos, but because I honestly, you know, the defense, their offense, excuse me, they're surprising everybody and doing extremely well. So I think they'll break through and they have confidence. Now it's like, oh, we're barely winning. They're scoring points upon points upon points in these games. And they're like, well, nobody's going to stop us. Look at what we're doing. And I think confidence is something they haven't had in a long time, which is clear when they're winning one, two, go winless, like when they're not winning many games. So I think that plays a big factor in how well they'll be in this game. And I think that's why they're going to take care of business. So you want the advanced numbers then? Let's do it, yeah. All right, so SP Plus likes UNLV. They give the Rebels a 78% win probability, projected margin of 13.2. FBI also likes the Rebels by 11.5, and Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives UNLV an 87.12% win probability, projected margin of about 24 to 8. What's your projection then? I think they'll. I think the Lobos will be able to hang tough for a little while, but I just haven't seen enough from the offense to make them think they're going to be able to pull an upset. So, what was the spread on this game again? Fourteen and a half. Fourteen and a half. I think I would lay those points. I would take UNLV to win and cover the spread. I'm going to say thirty-one to ten. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit more. I'm going to go 38-13 for the Rebels. I think they would not quite get to 40, but they're still – I think New Mexico can find a couple ways to get a few points here or there. All right, then. All right, on to Saturday, 10 a.m. local time in Air Force at Colorado – excuse me. Yeah, Colorado Springs. I almost got the schools mixed up there. Apologies. Air Force Academy hosting Navy, part one of the CIC, Commander-in-Chief, regular old CBS, so look for that. Dude, Navy's so bad. They're a two-touchdown underdog. Uh, dude, this over-under is less than Boise State. 37 and a half, man. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, wait, what did you say that spread was again? 14. That's it? <laughs> That's it? <laughs> Has Vegas not seen Navy play this year? Apparently not. Navy's one and two. They lost to Delaware 14 to seven. Memphis, who's eh, whatever, okay. 37-13, and somehow they beat ECU last week 23-20. to Well, it took them double overtime to do it. In the, against ECU? Uh, I didn't click on the box score that deep. And only nine points were scored in overtime. So it was still regulation. It was, uh, what would it have been, 17-17? Yeah. I think so. They're not yeah. scoring points. That's the thing we're getting at. Not scoring points. Kenny Amatolu is uh, firmly on the hot seat. And if he loses to Air Force, I don't know if they'll fire him midseason, but they may not beat Army, and he's probably not going to survive this year. Okay, so this is where I think 
Parker Fleming and his advanced stats preview can actually be really instructive in this regard. Good. Um, because, you know, I've I, I mentioned offensive success rate, defensive success rate a couple times. So I, I want to throw the offensive figures out for these teams, you know, just so you get a sense of the disparity between how they've performed so far. The Falcons have an offensive success rate of 51.3%, which is sixth in the country. Navy, by contrast, has an offensive success rate of 30.6%, which is 123rd. Okay. I mean, if you <laughs> if you just prefer like good old fashioned, okay, what exactly are they doing with what they want to try and do best? Let's put it this way. Navy's averaging 3.1 yards per carry on the ground so far. And it wasn't like, you know, their game against East Carolina was such that they suddenly saw some massive improvement. On a per carry basis, it was actually their worst game of the year, averaging under three yards a carry, 2.89. So I, <laughs> I can't believe this part's only 14 points. Um, that just blows my mind. It sort of blows, it sort of takes away all my other talking points because it's like, what? what is Vegas seeing in this Navy team that I'm not? I don't know because Air Force blew out Colorado. They they mm-hmm. score they score points. They blew out too. They who's their FCS team? Northern Iowa. They scored a million points against them. Yeah. That maybe the Wyoming game. They're nervous about that seventeen to fourteen result. But I don't think Navy's anywhere near what Wyoming is. No, they're not. So that's maybe that's a little bit why they're thinking it could be less. If you maybe they're thinking long drives. Like if Navy, but Navy's not even good pushing the ball and holding the ball. That's can. That's why they think of so why it's, the difference is that low. It's because that number out there. Yes. If I, if I may, if you indulge me. Obviously, yeah. It's our podcast. Go for it. Because there's this 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 particular statistic that, that Parker Fleming came up with. It's called the Eckel ratio, which coincidentally enough, I think it's named after a fullback from Navy. <laughs> but the idea behind the Eckel ratio is it, it accounts for every drive that is that is what his definition of a quality possession is which is basically if a team scores a big play touchdown or if they get a first down inside the other team's 40-yard line. So one or the other qualifies as a quality possession. So, again, small sample size probably. But to this point in the season, Air Force has an echo ratio of 67.6%, which is sixth in the country. Navy has an echo ratio of half of that, 33.2, which is 125th. I do not see how this offense, (laughs) with with all of its options, and I'm talking about the midshipmen in particular, they've got one guy averaging better than four yards a carry. It's not good for what they want to do running the ball. Mockwell Haywood. Like every other guy that they have up front that has gotten a lion's share of carries just is not moving the ball with the same effectiveness that we have seen week in and week out from Air Force. So I do not understand. I don't understand why this is only a two touchdown spread. What do you think? It should be like three touchdowns, 20 points? We should. Air Force should win this game in a walk. Would you put your hard earned money that they would? I would. Okay, I'm just, just, yes, I would. Just curious if we know some people. I'm just saying, if you're that confident, you know who to call. You know who if, to send a if, text to. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm not gonna put a lot of money on it. But well, I know. Yeah, thing, I don't either. It's like ten bucks here. You know what I mean? Something like that, minimal. 
this is this is like I, I wish people could I would recommend people follow Parker Fleming on Twitter first of all and again at Stato War yeah but go look at the go look at the graphic that he made for this game because Navy has like all but two or three things in in red and then there's one blue thing that is for this particular matchup maybe their one saving grace and that is the fact that their defensive success rate to this point in the season is 28.6% on the ground, and that is 15th nationally. And again, if you prefer just good old-fashioned yards per carry allowed, through three games, Navy has given up only 2.3 yards per carry. Hmm. They've done it <laughs> while generating like a, a decent amount of havoc, but not necessarily an overwhelming amount. Like They're averaging about seven TFLs per game. They do have you know, four different defenders, including, you know, their striker, John Marshall, who is, uh, you know, he's leading the team with three and a half TFLs. So, like, they can get in there. They can mix it up. They have gotten after the quarterback a little bit as well. You know, one of their defensive ends, Jacob Busick, has three sacks on the year, too. So, like, if Air Force wanted to try and take them by surprise and, and air it out, you know, Busick and Marshall could be that duo that's sort of leading the charge. But other than that, you know, they have retooled their offense a little bit in recent, or not their offense, their defense, excuse me, in recent weeks. You know, they had, you know, one pair of, I believe, sophomores starting at, you know, middle linebacker and weak side linebacker in the first game. And then they replaced that duo with another duo of sophomores, Johnny Woodson Brooks and Colin Ramos, who, you know, they've they played pretty well. Like they've sort of stemmed the tide of every offense that they've seen to this point. But again, I just, I really don't see how this game is going to be that much different than last year's, even despite that. Like, you know, it's the one thing that Navy does well is on paper, a bad matchup for the Air Force team. <laughs> but I really have a hard time oh, believing man. that Navy's going to be able to withstand Air Force. in Because, you know, it is worth keeping in mind who Navy has played to this point as well. Bad teams. They played Memphis, East Carolina, and Delaware. Well, and maybe not bad teams, but teams that aren't known for running the football. Yeah, too. Yeah. We have mentioned like also one thing to look at in this rushing attack. It's not just Brad, Brad Roberts, not just Zeke Daniels. The past two games, John Lee Eldridge the third is averaging mm-hmm. ten yards a carry. He only has one touchdown, not needed. But looking what he's done, we haven't mentioned any of these guys' names, but he has turned it on the past couple of games and having a. Second back because he not sorry I shouldn't say a turn on he's been well and cracked a hundred yards the past two games I think he made this the same mistake in a recap talking about him eighty five eighty eight one hundred four one hundred two and he's their second leading rusher on the team <laughs> behind Brad Roberts who is really good like having an attack that is explosive and ten yards to play him six and eight or six and a half yards to play for Roberts essentially Zeke Daniels four four point seven. He has one more rush in Eldridge, but 179 yards. He runs it well enough. They can pass down the field. The completion percentage of 40% is not ideal. But also, no interceptions is great. But the, having the dual two guys back to who can run the ball well, and then Daniels, who's athletic enough to make the right pitch and read to keep or get rid of it, that's a big deal. Having that third guy, and Robert's technically a fullback. He'll do that dive a bunch because they're not really giving it to Emmanuel Michael all that much. But even him, when he gets it, five yards of carry, five and a half, and a touchdown. Like mm-hmm. they have guys out there. Like we haven't mentioned these guys. There's there's gonna run through their guys. Like maybe like Kinnaman will get a couple carries. He's re- he received five attempts for almost 100 yards. 
Yeah, I know he's a huge 71 well, yarder of the Kendall's touchdown. The last couple weeks. Oh, he's my bad. Oh, injury. my mistake. I was sorry. I was getting ahead of myself. I'm I, mean, just looking is, I believe he is still listed atop the depth chart, but maybe. as of right now, I don't know what his status is. Like okay, maybe one, that's... He's one of the handful of guys who's sort of been up in the air in recent in recent days. You know, like um, Kill Holcomb, I think, was another one. Uh, you know, Jaden Theargood on defense. Is, you know, he's missed, I think, the last... I think he's been at least banged up the last week or two. Like they haven't, they've had the 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 good luck to not have any season-ending injuries like some of the other teams we talked yeah. about. Maybe that's why I was looking at depth chart or something. But regardless, they have enough weapons out there who they, are they getting the ball. Knicks, yeah, yeah, they already have a thousand sixteen hundred rushing yards. Like holy, holy mackerel, dude! They're six point seven yards a carry. They have I don't have how many long like um ten plus twenty plus yard runs in front of me. But looking at the individual longs of these players, 71, 48, 40, 71, 80, 48. Look at those huge plays over 30 yards, over 40 yards. It's ridiculous. So to, to sort of put what so to put that into context, last year in four August and September games, uh Air Force had 34 runs of 10 or more yards through four games this year. They have 40. Okay. They also have more 20-yard runs, too. They have, they had 12 last year. They had they have 16 to this point this year. So what are the advanced numbers saying? The projected blowout victory that many, many people watched on CBS before the uh, Alabama-Arkansas game. So uh, Air Force is a big favorite by pretty much all of them. Uh, SP Plus likes the Falcons. Uh, 87% win probability, projected margin of 19.9. FEI also likes Air Force by 14.8. Parker Flubbing, his advanced stats preview gives the Falcons an 87.9% win probability, projected margin of about 39 to 22. So I'm going to go, I think maybe one reason why it's close, because it's a rival, and that's kind of a big deal. And so... I still think they'll beat, they'll bust a cover, but I don't think it's going to be like a 30 point victory because there's times in this series where it's like, well, how did it, how did it come down to like the last possession or super low scoring game? I think Air Force. No, no, no. You, you have Navy confused with a team that's good sometimes, like Army. I know. I'm just trying to think out loud. Like, it's, I'm not going to say 40 to, they're not going to beat Colorado, like Colorado type score, I don't think. I'm going to go kind of big. I'm going to go, when I mean close, I mean, they're going to beat the spread 14. Come on. No no contest. I'm going to go 30 to 30 to 10. A convincing victory but not like a gigantic blowout. Oh, I think it'll be a gigantic blowout. Do it then. What do you got? What are you saying here? Air Force 42 Navy 10. Oof. All right then. That's a, that's a big victory there. Big defeat potential. Fresno State at UConn. 130 Mountain time because it's my time zone. Twelve thirty for you, Matt. Three thirty Eastern. CBS Sports Network. Uh, UConn is one and four. Fresno, a one and two, but that's deceiving essentially since they lost to Oregon State in the last play and USC losing quarterback, uh, which we'll get to without a Jay Kaner for what is the month with a high ankle sprain? Is that correct? I don't think they've officially labeled a timetable, but high ankle sprains usually take about four to six weeks. So he's out for a bit. So, but the game is lining real quick. Twenty-four Fresno already. I think already took Fresno cover in some places. Over under fifty-two and a half. Only eleven bucks to get into East Hartford at Pratt and Whitney Stadium. Also, a steal. A, a steal you think to watch this uh, Fresno State offense? 
I'm, I'm kidding. No, no, I'm just why not? I'm just saying, eleven bucks for a call. Then you'd have to watch. Then you'd have to pay money to watch <sighs> UConn football live. Good point. Um, but, so what do, what do people need to know? Because they had to buy a week last week, which is helpful with uh, trying to figure out where Logan Fife at quarterback. What do we think about him? Because versus USC, he went eleven of twelve, hundred and forty yards, in what two quarters of play, something like that. We know they got Jordan Mims. They have good receivers out there. We we know they got um, Caropper and everybody. They know who they the Pope. They got all these guys out there. What do people? What should people know about Fife, Matt? Because you follow them a bit closer than most people around here for the Bulldogs. So we haven't really seen him in a lot of game action, other than like in in blowouts at the end of you know coming in in, in relief of Hayner. Oftentimes when they're up like four or five touchdowns or whatever. But you know he's very Hainer like. He's six two, two hundred pounds. You know he's a sophomore, so you know if he auditions well in the next handful of games, like there's a chance he could be the starting quarterback this time next year. Good. Why wouldn't he be? Who else is um, out there to challenge him? Um, well, I mean they they do have Jalen Henderson as the as the backup right now for the foreseeable future as well. Was he's, he the Boise transfer? Um, if you look, if you look, no, no, no. No, different Jalen Henderson. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> um, redshirt freshman. If you're looking for a shorthand, he is sort of like Boise. He's sort of like Fresno's version of Taylor Green. Okay, makes sense. So, like same kind of skill set, you know, potential, like a potential Doug Brumfield type. If we're looking for sort of the optimist case, but I think for the purposes of this game in particular, it's important to keep in mind. Like Hainer's, of course, the headliner on the sidelines this week. I, I don't think he actually traveled with the team. But he's also I'd not like the only one. Yeah. Yeah, there were actually four different starters, uh, according to Barkboard over there at 24-7 Sports, that will not be playing in this game. We already knew about Jake Hayner. Um, Evan Williams, of course, is is out. And I think that the idea there at safety is they will probably go more of like a committee approach. You know, Krishan Gordon, retro sophomore, is listed as the starter. Um, but it is just as likely they'll probably lean on some of their veterans, like Elijah Gates and Stephen Comstock. Yeah. Um, but then also offensive tackle Dante Bull is is out in this game. They do get Braylon Nelson back, so he'll he's listed atop the depth chart at right tackle. And then linebacker Raymond Scott also not going to play in this game. So it's does not it matter like though? Does it, matter? Into, it, it probably does not matter. And I say that because um, I, I was thinking about this this tweet that was sent out um, by yeah, you know, and I'm assuming he's a UConn fan. I don't actually know. He has that sort of weird you know, UConn weird eyes looking Abby going <laughs> okay. on, on on Twitter.com. At no escalators. Yes. You've probably, you've probably seen his tweets here and there. I think it sounds familiar, right. yeah. He had, he had this tweet about UConn's last 23 drives. Uh-oh. Would you like me to read it for you? All 23 drives? Sure. Punts? Is it punt. one word punt? Punt. No, not quite. Punt, <laughs> punt, punt. Turnover on downs, punt, punt, fumble, punt, punt, punt return for a touchdown. Wait, for punt, them? Wait, is that for them or for wait, wait, is that them punting to somebody? Punt, punt, yeah, punt return touchdown. Gotcha. Make it turnover sure. on downs. Oh boy. Punt, punt, turnover on downs, four more punts, and then a field goal. Do we need to start a website? When's the last time UConn scored a touchdown.com? <laughs> I mean, honestly, maybe. <laughs> no, man. Like, let's put it this way, but like we have, we haven't talked about UConn for about a month now. There's a good reason for that, Matt. <laughs> Things have gotten so dire. What's Jim Moore got himself into? I was, 
<laughs> Did you see the tweet that was put out there by Joel Ruda the run, earlier today? The running back situation, the last Husky Husky, the Husky Husky that you tweeted out? Yeah. So the, <laughs> so the Joe Ruda, reporter for the Hartford Courant, put out there that they're considering starting a six foot, 300 pound defensive lineman, Jelani Stafford, at running back. Because uh, apparently Nathan Carter is out. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I honestly have not paid attention to UConn at all since we talked about them before the Utah State game. Like why would you? I did not realize things had gotten that bad. Injuries and no touchdowns. Yeah, it's uh, it is not ideal. Like if you look at Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview. Um, there's there's like a couple of shades of light blue, but it is all <laughs> dark red. red. It is it is no bueno. Is this going to be worse than last year? Uh, I mean, the only reason I would hedge my bets a touch is because Fresno State isn't necessarily playing at a hundred percent the same way that they were last year. Yeah, I think the offense will probably be fine. Actually, I think both sides of the ball will probably be fine, but I think it will be a proving ground for a defense that's been sort of, I mean, they've been kind of lackluster so far. You know, in terms of like available yards percentage, for example, through three games, did you? I didn't realize this, but Fresno State has allowed 63.9% of available yards per drive. That's 117th nationally. It's not good. For the sake of comparison, UConn on defense is 123rd. So it's it's one of those situations where like, yeah, process it's coming in and they're less than 100%. It's but... still definitely what you would qualify as a get right game on that side of the ball. Like I want to see the defense come out firing. You know, there are, also, there are points per drive, especially. Um, Fresno State has also given up over four points per drive, 125th nationally. And, and coincidentally enough, that is actually a metric where UConn is better Excuse me? What? <laughs> I, did not, I did not know that until right now. Wow. Yeah. Fresno State's 125th in points per drive allowed on defense. UConn's 124th. Oof. Go out there. Leave no doubt. Get ready for Boise State. So what's the advanced numbers to what? Say four touchdown victory, three and a half touchdown victory. Does UConn score a touchdown uh, type of game? Depending on which depending on which one you choose to believe the most in. They all favor Fresno State. SP Plus gives the Bulldogs a 91% win probability, projected margin of 22.8. FEI also likes the Bulldogs by 26.8. And uh, Parker Fleming, his preview gives gives Fresno State a 95.89% win probability, projected margin of 41.17. That's what, 24 points? Uh, apparently so. Okay, I was trying to do my math there. What's your What's but your score? I, I, uh, UConn ain't scoring seventeen points. So <laughs> UConn six. Sorry, I laughed over that. What did you say they're gonna get? What's the score? Fifty-two to six, Fresno State. Fifty-two wins. to six, even with the backup quarterback. The backup quarterback. That's them taking it easy. They better. <laughs> I'm looking at if NC. They score less than forty. I'm going to be extremely disappointed. How did the UConn score a touchdown versus NC State? They did score a rushing touchdown last week. So that drive, twenty-three straight possessions, was not completely accurate. I don't think. Twenty-fourth times the charm, apparently. 
Oh, that's it was the very last may have been because that's the last possession of Maybe. the game. Scores. That's probably you know, what it was. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a long day for UConn. Let's put it that way. You said fifty-one ten, fifty-six ten, fifty-six. Oh man, I'm going. Hmm, I'll go forty to thirteen. Why not? Which barely uh, hits the over forty to thirteen at fifty-two and a half. All right, one last game of the weekend. Which honestly, this might be—I always say this a lot—but this might be the game I want to see all weekend the most. And nobody thought this coming in. San Jose State at Wyoming. CBS Sports Network. Matt, we get it early, early Saturday, man. This game's four thirty for you in the afternoon. Not no late night this week. Yeah, I, yeah, we can have a nice dinner afterwards, a late dinner sort of. That's a good. That's a good thing, right? Excellent things coming our way. I'll take it. I'll take it. Spartans are a field goal road favorite. A little shocking because Wyoming played quite outside of that third quarter. They played quite well versus BYU. They beat Air Force. Uh, Andrew Peasley's playing much better, completing passes. They're moving the ball a little bit. They rushing defense is pretty pretty good, and uh, that's an area where. Spartan struggle running the ball offensively. Kyrie Robinson hasn't done an amazing job this year, and he's kind of the thing I pound the chest every week. Like, come up, oh, excuse me, run the ball and do those type of things. I apologize for that. It's embarrassing. Just running the ball is not what Spartan's forte is, but Shaven Cordero has improved quite a bit relatively compared to, or I guess whatever I want to say here, back when you look back at his Hawaii days. He is a – is he a touch more accurate? I guess the biggest thing, he has not thrown an interception all year at zero. That's probably the biggest thing compared to what he did when he was with the, uh, Todd Graham. And um, was he was Rolovich for a season two, I think, with Cole McDonald, I believe. Yes, I believe in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's been pretty erratic. I know the touchdowns aren't there, but him being more protective of the ball, I guess the best way to put it, despite only 57%, which is fine. Nothing huge downfield. He has a 182-yarder, but his average is about eight yards per play. Mm-hmm. That's how they're going to get it done, I think, against Wyoming. But we all know what Craig Bull does, Wyoming, and everything for their defense. But they're going to have to run the ball somewhat effective because Shavon Cordero is not as good as Jaron Hall, and they held Jaron Hall in check for about a little, uh, partially for the game, not a lot, because he put up huge numbers: twenty-six to thirty-two, three eighty. I want to say something huge. Mm-hmm. But Cordero might have a chance to throw the ball down the field. But they're going to have to have some sort of running game so Wyoming can't just decide to either, oh, let me rush eight or drop eight and figure out what they're going to do and say, Cordero, you're going to try to find a pocket in the zone or we're going to crush you in force in 3.2 seconds because um, five guys can't block eight guys. Okay, well, if they drop three and, and or rather if they rush three and drop eight, like what's to stop Siobhan Cordero from using his legs I know. in a way that we haven't really seen him have to do this year? For a point, he, he yeah, he has 53 yards and two touchdowns, sack yardage, whatever. He's been sacked 80 minus 82 sack yards. You take those away, he has about 130 true rushing yards, I believe. If my math is correct, 53 plus 82. He, that's that honestly, he if you take away sack yardage, he's basically neck and neck for Kyrie Robertson in total rushing yards, which is not good, <laughs> but that gives him a thing to do if they want to roll out or scramble or whatnot. But that's uh, I know that stat's probably not 100% accurate in like effectiveness wise, but sacks happen. But he's his, his actual running yardage is comparable to his running back, which isn't what they want to do. But that's for quarterback, that's fine. But your running back, come on, figure something out, do it. Yeah, I mean, I think the the trick in this game is going to be that you know what what San Jose State has tried to do is they have been mostly a, a pass first team. 
you know, going back to that rush rate over expected metric one more time, yeah. you know, you, you, it really sort of illustrates that these two systems are sort of like mirror images of one another, or sort of like the inverse of each other, where Wyoming to this point has a rush rate of 56.7%. And San Jose State, by contrast, is only at 44%. So they're, they're throwing the ball more often than you would expect. Problem is... Like for as as improved as Cordero has looked from week to week so far this season, they haven't really hit on all of their cylinders just yet. Because going back to offense success rate one more time, they're only 88th in the country. Actually, coincidentally, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back for a second. Both of these teams have the exact same passing success rate on offense, 36.5 percent. Hmm. That is not something you would have expected me to say, would you? Nope. Definitely not. <laughs> so, I think no. that, so I think that if they want to put the game in Cordero's hands, I think it would be very reasonable for them to do so. But I think that Cordero has to prove that he can take another step forward because, you know, other I mean, other than the yards per attempt, you know, he's still has a completion rate of only 57%. So like, that is an area where, you know, I guess other than last week against BYU, that is an area where Andrew Peasley actually might have a slight advantage just in terms of being able to get the ball to his receiver's hands. You know, before before BYU, he completed 60% of his throws in three straight games. And I think that is going to be to the Spartans' benefit if they can, you know, get the ball, because they also have more playmakers. Yeah in the past game that have been able to flash. Like we saw, I think most prominently a week ago with like Sam Olson, but you know, we've seen the ball with Elijah cooks in his, you know, when the ball's in his hands, he looks like his old self. You know, Justin Lockhart had a big 82 yard catch last week. Charles Ross is a, you know, solid as ever. So they have multiple ways that they can beat this Wyoming offense. And I think that is really going to be where this game is decided because it's really easy to get distracted by Wyoming's win-loss record. It definitely is. And I say that because in terms of like points per drive, and I'm going to talk in terms of net points per drive, so like you know above zero, below zero. Right now, San Jose State is 28th in the country in net points per drive, and that's because they're in the top 50 on offense and the top 20 on defense, which we're going to talk about more in a moment. Wyoming, by contrast, is 100th. They're actually, uh, their their net points per drive is actually near negative one, and it's and it's not like either side of the ball is really to blame. You know, they're ninety fourth on, on offense, averaging one point seven points per drive, and eighty sixth on defense, uh, two point six seven. And the the same is also true in terms of available yardage as well. You know, San Jose State is actually sixteenth on that front. You know, through three games, they're they're you know on offense. 57% of available yards per drive. Wyoming, by contrast, 99th oh. in their available yards. So it, it's real easy to see, you know, in terms of like win-loss records, you think, okay, yeah, this is going to be a really good game. But the closer you look, the dicier it suddenly gets for the Cowboys who really have to prove that they could put all their offensive pieces together because we've seen it in flashes but we haven't seen them do it over the course of 60 minutes yet. I also think them getting beat the beaten crap out of versus BYU on a short week is all, or not a short week. I'm sorry. I'm thinking Utah state, but going playing BYU 
that was a very, very, very physical game. And that's going to take a toll on them going into San Jose State, too. Won't be as physical, not because of the talent-wise, but because they're probably going to want to throw a bit more than pass. But also one guy, and well, I mean, watching this game, like Wyatt Wyland, great name too, had that touchdown run, Is added a little bit different role with the return game as well. He's been at, like, that's why he got, like, this, I know one sweep he got blown up, but he had a pretty good running play for one of the scores he had. Uh, the first score touched on the four-yard run over, or excuse me, over BYU versus I'm sorry, whatever. Well, I mean, against people you can't speak right now. But that could add a little twist to the offense because this is kind of what we see. And we're like, well, what's freaking Polisic doing there? It's like it seems like he's allowing them to – or Craig Bowles allowing him to move the ball in different ways and get it to different people and try different things. And getting him involved a little bit in the ground game, yeah, it was he had a touchdown, he's only had a couple of runs. But him going to return game, he's a guy who might get one of those just – Maybe two touch two touches that are not in the, the opportunities uh, oh. here are ver- apologies for people who heard that. Awesome. That's great. Didn't mute my tabs, Matt. But point being him getting a couple carries in the on the offense might go a long way. Not necessarily trick plays, but just like some sweeper end around. And he seems to do well enough. That's why he's in return game two. So that's another area of Polisic opening up the offense a little bit compared to what we saw in that f- stupid five of twenty uh performance against Illinois, which is like ten years ago because Wyoming played much better. And if a few things gone a little bit better versus BYU, I'm not saying they got to win, but they were in that game for three and a half of the four quarters. But the offense, I like, opened it up a bit, but I still think they're just beat up too much. I don't know if they can get it done versus San Jose State. It's going to be a tough one. Even though it's at home, it's, See, uh, it's hard. I don't know if the – I mean, the offense has had some, like, nicks, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. You know, Tata Swin, of course, had, like, the, the bruised ribs early on. Yeah. Frank Crum is dealing with an injury at right tackle. I believe Joshua Cobbs got nicked up last week too, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure on that one. I don't recall. But I think the I think the bigger problem for them is that San Jose State's defense has just come alive. They they you know they managed to shut down Auburn for the most part, or at least frustrate Auburn for most of 60 minutes, and then played a very, yeah, I guess on paper, Western Michigan kind of looked a lot like Wyoming in in terms of their you know, ability to sort of lean on their ground game. And San Jose State took, took control of that. And so I think that that is really where the game is going to turn is, you know, whether Wyoming can not only string drives together, but whether they can take advantage of like red zone opportunities that they get, because that isn't really something that they've done particularly well to this point in the season. And I mean, to be fair, it's not really something that either team has done particularly well to this season because Wyoming on the whole have converted 15 of their 16 red zone trips into points, 93.8%. So that's number two in the conference. Problem is their touchdown conversion rate in the red zone is only ninth overall at 43.8%. I think you know their their saving grace, which is one of those things that could really determine this game, is that San Jose State has been even worse. Oh boy! Only five touchdowns in fourteen trips to the red zone so far, and again, only three games. Yeah. So small sample size caveats may apply, but you know, a thirty-five, you know, one out of getting a touchdown, one out of three trips to the end zone against this Wyoming team probably isn't going to get it done. So I do think that like while San Jose State might have the advantage on defense overall, they might give it away if the offense can't punch it in whenever they get 
chances to do so. So what do you think it's number two in this one? All right, so um, basically even for SP+, plus, um, 50% win probability, though it does give San Jose State a 0 0.2, 0.2%, uh, no, not percent, 0.2 point projected margin. FEI likes Wyoming now by just 1.8, and Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Spartans a 59.0% win probability, projected margin of about this seems unrealistic. Thirty-four to thirty-one. You think it's a? What, what do you mean unrealistic? The point difference, the total. You think they'll be? They did say sixty-five points. Goal. That seems 60, yeah. Yeah, sixty-five seems a bit aggressive. <laughs> Is that a way to put it? Oh man, I'm gonna say this. It's on the road, and it's weird to see Spartans a road favorite. Well, I mean, this is a game to watch. I oh man, I gotta shoot. I'm trying to debate like how it would be. I think it's going to come down the wire. I think they're. I'm going to go 28-27 for one of these two teams. <laughs> oh man, I'll go Spartans. Why not? What the heck? 28-27. There we go. Brent Brennan gets a victory on the road over the Cowboys. You think the Spartans are going to expose the Cowboys? Oh, how so? What's your I score? Think it's going to be a I think it's going to be a fairly convincing victory. I think Wyoming will be able to make it competitive, but I will take the Spartans. I'm going to say 31, 31 to 17. Two, two touchdowns? Whoa. Yeah. Dang. I think San Jose State is going to reintroduce themselves to everybody who hasn't been paying attention to them so far. You fooled me when you go, that's unrealistic. It wasn't different. It was a point total. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, we both got them winning. <laughs> But this game's gonna be a good one. I could, I think it'll be closer than you're saying. But I think this is one to watch definitely. We got three man easy three games spread out on Saturday. No problem to watch all these man. You know what I'm talking about no problem. All right. So anything else we need to add about this week? Uh, a couple teams on the bye week: Hawaii, CSU. Um, who else is on the bye week? Uh, Nevada. Also, a couple injuries. You see, you tweet out Brandon Talton's injured for a couple weeks for the kicker for Nevada. Another transfer time. McCulloch leaving Colorado State. Not a good thing. Uh, anything else you need to add about this past week or any other quick news we need to get to? No, I think we're all set. We got a, we got a first game in a couple of days. I'm looking forward to it. Exactly. All right. We'll see you next time. MWR.com. We'll be back for a recap on sometimes Sunday. So check the feed, Spotify, Apple, wherever your podcast say, Hey, these guys are adequate. I'll take adequate. Right, Matt. That's good enough for me. And we'll, By the way. Yes. By the way, one one quick Ooh, note. What do you got? Did you know that you can actually rate podcasts on Spotify now? Yes, we had to actually listen to. It. I went to go rate a couple. I had never listened on Spotify, but it will not let you rate unless you actually listen to it on Spotify. So if it's so if we have, if we have sufficiently enlightened you as a football fan, as a Mountain West football fan, uh, be sure to give us a rating. Let us know what you think. Yeah, definitely do that. I, I did say on Spotify a while ago, but it's like, oh, I listen on Pocket Cast or Apple, but I want to rate everywhere. There's some podcasts. I like them a lot. I want them to do well. But on Spotify specifically, you got to listen probably to a couple episodes. So say you listen to on Pocket Cast, which is my preferred one of choice, but you don't listen on Spotify. Maybe just um, put on the background or just silent or something, hit play on your desktop or whatever where you're not even listening to it or your laptop or something. And then once it rolls through a couple episodes, then give them that. I think it's a thumbs up. Is that what it is on Spotify, Matt? No, it's uh, five stars. Oh, they must have changed. I know there's a thumbs up or thumbs down recently. Maybe they updated it recently. But yeah, if you can review it, let us know. Tell us, just let us know. 
So MWC, yeah. M- MWC Wire Twitter, MWR.com. Pretty active throughout the week. So, yeah, we'll see you next time. And let's just hope your team wins. And um, let's have a great weekend because we got games Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So it'll be exciting. So we'll see you next time.